Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we talk about magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So this week, on the first day of Libra season when we're recording, I'm going to be talking about the tasty, the pungent, the punchy oregano. Ooh. Oh, Uh, Oregano is definitely one of my faves, so I'm interested to see what the herbalism benefits are, because I put that shit in all of my food, so I should be healthy as fuck. I mean, honestly, yeah. Um, (laughs) But okay, so I'm talking about the Baba Yaga in my- Iconic! Oh my god, what an iconic lady- um, so it's my ongoing segment about magical creatures slash folk legends. I mean, the Baba Yaga's a witch, but she's not a goddess, and uh, we wanted to talk about her, so that's where she goes. Um, yeah. she, I feel like if anyone deserves like their own fucking topic section, it's the Baba Yaga. It's, it's the Baba Yaga. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about the Norns, or the Norse fates. Uh, to round out an episode we're calling The Crone Zone. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Because um, we're recording later in the week than we normally do, just as like a fun fact, because I know we had literally just last week talked about how we record on Tuesdays, and this week was weird. So we're recording on Thursday, and I love it. You know, the Libra symbol is supposed to look like a sun setting. So it's like, this is all just perfectly tying together for us to be recording this at night first day of libra season doing our crone zone episode and oh my god what what a fun episode to do like literally i got to look at so many woodblock prints of baba yaga legends this week i i posted one on instagram um so go check it out y'all should be on our instagram for real yeah nick kills it on insta y'all um, but okay, so you guys, the Baba Yaga. So part of the reason we've chosen famous crones as a theme for this week's episode is that it is the first one we are recording after the equinox. So that means we're on the slip and slide to winter. And with that, inevitably comes some darker, broodier thoughts. And frankly, none of us is really immune to that. And while the world shrivels up and dies around us, we are reminded that we too shall shrivel up and die someday. But before that, if we're lucky, we get to live out the crone phase of our witch timeline and scare little children and be extra weird and hopefully have more cats than sense. (laughs) So, and in the spirit of all that stuff that we should probably be unpacking in therapy, we decided to take you on a journey to the crone zone to see for ourselves that there's still badass things in store for that particular phase of being. I'm uh, so stoked. <laughs> and case in point, the Baba Yaga. So yes, my lovely witch bitches, this week's magical creature uh, segment has us deep in the dark forests of the Slavic badlands where it's easy to get lost on your path and perhaps have an encounter with the Baba Yaga. So full disclosure, again, the Baba Yaga isn't technically a magical creature, but she is a powerful witch and a bona fide folk legend. But 
It did. And magical AF in her own right, too. So, like, you know, yeah. we make the rules. We we make the rules for this podcast. <laughs> but, it did, but, you know, it didn't quite jive to do her as a deity because, frankly, there's not a shit ton of evidence to back up, like, any actual Baba Yaga worship out there. Just a bunch of really cool folk tales, a lot of which seem to have the sole purpose of scaring small children, which is especially important this time of year, our beloved spooky season. Uh, and let me just tell you now, the aesthetics of the Baba Yaga myth are very spooky and very weird, and I'm honestly in love and hope for nothing less than a Baba Yaga-style cronehood. So, diving in. The Baba Yaga is a folktale hailing from the Eastern Slavic regions. Uh, so that's Russia, Belarus, and the Ukraine. There are Baba Yaga analogs that can be found in like Polish, Czech, and Yuga, former Yugoslavian uh, countries. Um, but we're talking about the OG. Um, so this comes to us in its earliest recorded form in the mid-18th century. But with that being said, uh, that was one of the earliest attempts to sort of codify an existing set of Slavic folktales. So um, there is consensus among historians that these tales probably date to at least the Middle Ages, much in the same way that like Grimm's fairy tales are the officially written versions of much older tales that were like finally written down. Um, so if you kind of keep that in mind, these are very, very old stories. And uh, actually, before I get into like the main story about the Baba Yaga that I wanted to share, I thought it was definitely fun facts to throw in that in the Russian version of the Frog Princess and the Hansel and Gretel, fairy tales uh baba yaga is the evil witch in those um so eating small children turning nice princesses into frogs uh very much uh in her lane um i also thought this would kind of be a good time to do like an overview of the baba yaga's description so just in case the story that i picked doesn't really cover all of it. Um, you you kind of know what the 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 themes of the Baba Yaga stories are. So obviously, for this episode, the Baba Yaga is usually described as a crone with fierce facial features. That is the word that is used time and time again. Fierce facial features, very big nose. So I kind of imagine her as um, like Yubaba. From Spirited Away, with like the very big, beaky nose. Um, and she puts it to good use because oftentimes when the people that are asking her for help show up, she makes a remark about smelling them coming. She's like, oh, I thought I smelled a Russian. Um, so she also supposedly had very long, bony legs and could sort of straddle her entire hut and do like a weird squat over her stove for warmth you know when i think of like the baba yaga's like legs it always reminds me of seeing the legs on owls yeah 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 like 
like uh, yeah, like you don't really see them, and then you pull up the the feathers, and and, and then it, suddenly legs, <laughs> the legs for days, baby, legs for days. Um, so actually, the uh, this actually has a lot to do with her name, the bony legs. So Baba is sort of a colloquial thing for for grandma, and then Yaga could potentially mean bony. So it's like bony grandma referring to her long bony legs but she would like squat over her stove when you would come in which is partially for warmth and partially just to do this like intimidating thing where she's like taking up the whole room with like her knees and her long bony legs um so for transportation the baba yaga has sort of fast and slow options so her cottage, and this is like iconic Baba Yaga stuff, uh, her cottage is built on giant chicken legs. Uh, and it walks around in the forest, and that's sort of why she's always able to be found when she's needed, but also gets to stay deep in the woods when she's not. Uh, and now for fast travel, and this is the, the part that I thought was kind of very kooky, you know, she's almost like the manic pixie dream girl of crones. She's just, <laughs> she's just manic pixie dream crone. Yeah, she's like the manic pixie dream crone. Uh, so you would think like a crony old witch would use a broom, but apparently that association doesn't exist in Slavic mythology. And the Baba Yaga flies around in a giant mortar and pestle. So kind of the so idea, <laughs> which is really dope. Um, and so. She rides in the bull part, and the pestle part is, like, the landing gear and also the part that, like, hops on the ground. So it's, like, the bull part, I guess the mortar, right, is balanced on top of the pestle. I, I mean, again, I know we've already talked about Howl's Moving Castle, but it just makes me think of the scarecrow. Just, like, hopping around. Hopping Hopping around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was spirited away, Shannon. So we have not talked about Howl's Moving Castle yet. Oh, but, sorry. I, my brain but, went to Howl's Moving Castle, so I've been thinking about it. <laughs> but, you know, there's that bit in Howl's Moving Castle when the castle falls apart. And it's yeah. it's just like the main bit walking around on chicken legs. And <laughs> yeah. so and so that's kind of what I think uh like the Baba Yaga's hut is like is like just the little bit walking around on chicken legs from Howl's Moving Castle. Uh oh, so so we're doing adore. we're doing a, a Studio Ghibli tie-in uh for the Baba Yaga. I uh, am going I I mean just a small detour. I have my tickets in 2 weeks. I get to go see the Studio Ghibli exhibition at the Academy Museum and you guys better bet your asses, there's going to be fucking pictures on Instagram. I'm so stoked. Uh, I'm very stoked for that. And uh, I'm I'm going to the Studio Ghibli theme park next year in Japan. So... Uh, uh, hi, we're not- Nick and Shannon. We fucking love <laughs> Studio Ghibli. Uh, Miyazaki is our homeboy. Yeah. You know that <laughs> you know that dude chain smokes like three packs of cigs a day? Like he's a total badass. Like Walt, I mean, Dis- like Walt Disney could never... And that's oh my God, no. and that's why they won't put him on American TV. Like he'll he'll do interviews in Japan, and he's just like, 
literally smoking a fucking cigarette and he's like yeah i'm a beloved children's entertainer (laughs) (laughs) i love him he is like everything also i last thing and then i'll let you continue if you if anyone out there like loves the movie howl's moving castle the book that it's based on is also truly a fucking delight and i cannot recommend it enough and that's like a good easy quick fall read and um, that's your that's your book recommendation for the week, guys. <laughs> that's our Miyazaki corner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but so where were we at? She's flying around in a giant mortar and pestle. It's very cool. She rides in the bowl part. Um, so let's talk about the Baba Yaga's yard. Uh, and this is something that is very iconic Baba Yaga. Um, in almost every depiction of the Baba Yaga, uh, her cottage is surrounded by a fence made of human bones uh, with skulls with glowing red eyes atop each of the posts. Um, Goals? Yeah. And, you know, so there's like a hot landscaping tip for all you witches out there with lots of human bones that you don't know what to do with. Maybe you could make a nice fence or a bone patio. Upcycle uh, those bones, baby. Upcycle those bones. Oh, and um, before we move on a little deeper into the story, sometimes there's three identical triplet Baba Yagas. Uh, so, and they're all named Baba Yaga, and no explanation is given why there's two different versions. So, if you would please direct all inquiries about this matter to the pre Christian Slavs, all of whom are presumed dead at the time of this podcast airing, um, that would be great because I have no fucking idea. Uh, which brings us to the finer points of the Baba Yaga's personality. So she is actually quite an aspirational figure for your crone years because she really does not give a fuck. So sometimes she's the evil witch in a story, eating children, turning princesses into frogs. Sometimes she saves the day. Sometimes she saves the day by accident. Sometimes she does nothing. So there's the, there's a there's a story where this, and this is one with three Baba Yagas, where the dude goes deeper and deeper into the forest to find the next Baba Yaga. And then when he finally gets to the last one, she's like, fuck, he's like trying to find a kingdom, trying to find some lost kingdom. And uh, he finally gets to the the last Baba Yaga and she's like, fuck you. I'm going to eat you. I love that. It's like one of the stories where she doesn't do shit is also one of the ones where she's fucking three people. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) It's like, She's like this is how little these are like this is how little of a fuck I give about you. I'm gonna be three people and still not fucking help you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's like sometimes she acts like she's gonna help and then ends up fucking off most of the way through because she just stops caring. Oh uh, God, she is truly iconic. Truly an icon, and so sometimes she's an insatiable cannibal. And sometimes she can control herself, but she's still a cannibal, so don't get it twisted. Always a cannibal, but sometimes she can keep it to herself, sometimes she can't. Uh, so so the, the idea is neutrality. People go to her for help because she's a powerful bitch, but she can choose whether or not to help you. Uh, and that's pretty cool. 
Uh, I just love that she has so much agency. Like, she's not a fucking genie in a bottle. You don't get to, like, call on Baba Yaga and make her do what you want her to do. Like, bitch gets to make her own decisions. I'm like, that's, I think that's one of the coolest fucking things about her. And so the story I picked uh, is, it's sort of like the Russian Cinderella. Uh, and you guys might be able to see why this version did not get a Disney movie after I tell it. Uh, but so we have Vasilisa the Beautiful, who was a fair young maiden and the daughter of a well-to-do merchant. Is that that's sort of sounding familiar, right? Um, and, Isabel. Yeah. And so her mother gets very sick when she's very young still. And before she, you know, um, she gives her this magical doll that she says is going to help her if she feeds it small amounts of food and water, right? So you have to feed the doll and then it will help you. So yeah, I'm immediately going to have to pull a fucking red flag, Vasilisa. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's kind of creepy. I think anytime yeah. anytime a doll comes to life, it's a little spooky. Yeah. It's going to be a no for me, dog, but but continue. Yeah, and her mom's like, "Here's this doll that's alive and you got to feed it and it'll help you." Um, but oh. this <laughs> but uh it's like, "Okay, Annabelle." Um you know, Annabelle, like that entire movie was filmed in the Langham where we used to live. Did I tell you that? You did. And you showed me yeah. uh, in in like the, the laundry the room. The laundry basement. The laundry room <laughs> that they used as the basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> very spooky. Uh, very spooky doll. Uh, but so she gets the doll. The mom dies. And so she gives it a little bit of food and a little bit of water. And the doll comforts her, which, you know, I I don't buy it. It's probably, she's probably spooked. It's she's probably prob slowly draining the life out of her. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so, so let's cut to a few years later. Her fancy merchant father has come home with a sour-faced stepmother, sounding familiar, and two new stepsisters, and everyone treats Vasilisa very badly what? Uh, i know and so vasilisa she's known as vasilisa the beautiful because she's beautiful and so even though loads of local men show up to propose to vasilisa the evil stepmother is like no but wouldn't you be interested in the stepsisters uh and she says because the stepsisters are older it's more appropriate to marry them off first instead of marrying off the youngest daughter first. Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's definitely the woman that has, like, uggos for kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, she's just she's just doing her best. Um, but, you know, this whole time, she's also got Vasilisa doing most of the household chores, especially while her father is away on business. Uh, but, so, something to keep in mind here is she does use the magical doll to get her chores done. So she's kind of like, you know, passing it along to this magical doll. Um, Ew. So, you know, but it's still a dick move to give all the chores to poor, poor Vasilisa. Um, 
So one day, dad's gone on business, and the old evil stepmommy decides we're all going to move to like a decrepit shack on the edge of a dark and probably haunted forest. Like you do. Like you do. I mean, it was like, what's going on with the dad? Like, like, I mean, absentee father much? Damn. Yeah, it's it's like, geez, dude. Um, so now Vasilisa's chores are like really in overdrive and she's really being driven into the ground by the stepmother and the stepsisters. And so one day, winter's approaching. It's, good, it's looking like it's going to be a harsh one. So they send her out into the dark, spooky forest to gather firewood, see if she can get some fuel. Uh, you know, maybe she could get some oil from like a coal burner, like, you know, just whatever you can get. And uh, don't be afraid to show off the goods is basically the, what they send her <laughs> off with. Hike um, up your skirt if you gotta, Vasilisa. <laughs> so, uh, so she sets off into the deep woods and on the way she gets passed by a rider in white in the morning. And she gets passed by an identical rider, this time in red, around noon. And as the sun is going down, she gets passed by a third identical rider, this time in all black. And that's the first time we got a Lady Gaga costume change. That's true. And so, <laughs> of course, by following the same path as these riders, uh, none of whom would stop to help poor Vasilisa. She ends up at the bone fence of the Baba Yaga. Um, and after explaining her troubles, the Baba Yaga agrees to help if she can complete some very difficult tasks, such as separating out poppy seeds from dirt and separating good corn from bad corn, kernel by kernel. Uh, she also is expected to do her laundry and prepare a meal for her and clean her house on top of these like seemingly impossible tasks. And so if you guys don't know, poppy seeds are very small. Uh, and it's almost like that bit in The Magicians where Margot was sent out to the desert to get That's, the little, yeah, the little like grains of metal out of the sand because it's like an impossible task. It feels um, like if she was, if Margot was sent to do it, but by the the dream bitch that pulled fucking Finn and was having her do all of the chores. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Anyway, uh, sorry. So, she does all of this. Um, and so she takes, like, the whole next day to kind of do this. And she sees the white writer again, the red writer again. And then as night falls, the black writer comes around again. And of course, she has used the doll to complete these seemingly impossible tasks while she sets about just, like, the normal cleaning and laundry. Like, she does the normal stuff, and then the doll does the little, uh, the, the, the weird ones. It makes me more uncomfortable that the doll is doing the more difficult tasks. Yeah. Um, too so, smart. She's too smart. Uh, okay. Okay, Annabelle. Uh, so, Baba Yaga comes back uh, and she's kind of pissed that the tasks are completed because basically she was like, I want to get out of helping you. So here's an impossible task. Uh, and then she also explains that the writers are day, the sun, 
and night, and they never appear in the story again. It's because Lady Gaga was late to the Met Gala. We know this. We, it's we, fine. We know this. <laughs> um, and so Vasilisa explains that the reason she was able to complete these tasks is because she had been blessed by her mother, and that was why she was able to finish them. Uh, and the Baba Yaga is really pissed by this. Uh, so she doesn't like most people, the Baba Yaga. And um, she doesn't like people who have been blessed, especially. Uh, but because the work is done, she keeps up her end of the bargain, and she gives Vasilisa a skull full of magical embers that will never burn out, so that she can always start a fire. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. Um, and this is where there's, there's a very cool twist coming up. Uh, so, you know, trigger warning, uh, we're about to take a very weird left turn. So Vasilisa goes back home and finds that like, not even the candles are working for the step family and they're all like freezing and shivering, waiting for her to come back. Um, and so just kind of like as a testament to just like the weirdness of the Baba Yaga, right? Uh, so Vasilisa crosses the threshold with this skull lamp full of magical embers that will never burn out. And um, the embers burst out of the eyes of the skull and burn the stepmom and the stepsisters to ashes. They had it coming. They had it coming. <laughs> I mean, they re- they really they really did have it coming, but uh, yeah, what a twist! What a, I mean, she didn't ask for that. Nope, didn't ask for that at all. I don't think she even like broaches the subject of the stepmom and the stepsisters with the Baba Yaga. She's just like, we need a way to light fires because the winter's gonna suck. And um, anywho, <laughs> so. She buries the skull in the dirt because she's like, well, fuck that sky high. I'm never going to use that again. It's the first intelligent thing she's done this entire story. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's not exactly what she asked for, but it's exactly what she needed to become an independent woman. And she moves to St. Petersburg, where she becomes a renowned tapestry weaver. And marries the Tsar of Russia. Uh, the end. So. Um, <laughs> okay, but I'm like, does she become a renowned weaver because the fucking doll is doing the weaving? I'm very concerned about Annabelle. <laughs> is Annabelle just tormenting St. Petersburg? <laughs> um, and that's why St. Petersburg is to this day haunted by a uh, doll that is sentient. Did you not know? <laughs> Oh my god, I feel like such an idiot. How did I not know? This is this is a true story. But um, you know, I I think that's like a nice I I mean, there's other stories with the Baba Yaga, but this one I feel like like featured her as a main character, so that's kind of why I picked it. Um yeah. And like I said, there there's there's other ones, like there's the one where the the guy who ends up being the czar uh is is looking for some lost kingdom and she's like well fuck off uh i'm gonna eat you um and i mean fair we've all had those days yeah and uh but i would say you know the baba yaga is crone goals and uh that's that's really all i have for you guys this week but there's a lot more interesting baba yaga stories out there so if you think of it as like 
like she's like the archetype of the crazy witch of the woods uh in yeah. like, like all of these russian folk tales so if that's something you're like interested in looking into do so by yeah, all this means. is really like an amuse-bouche yes it's, it's like a it's like a it's like a, a taste of baba yaga I love that. Well, and even though I think we may be kicking off a new generation of actual Baba Yaga worship, um, because I'm considering this, I do have to hop in here and say we have a small but very important QWP this week, especially as we're idolizing this woman. Um, We all love the Baba Yaga. She's a badass. She is goals. But we do have to say it. Cannibalism is a no-no. No. No. That is all. Yeah. don't, (laughs) Don't eat other people. Yeah. Don't eat, don't eat other people. Just don't. No one's going to feel good about that. Well, you know, the tasting robot said that people taste like bacon. I mean, yeah, in a pinch. But <laughs> like... <laughs> and, and if your plane crashes in the Andes and someone... No judgment. And someone's already going to die of a broken leg and you know this and you've got a big rock in your hand. I'm not going to ask any questions, okay? I feel like if you've crashed in the Andes, there should be no no follow-up questions <laughs> if you make it out of that. Like, no questions, please. <laughs> but but yeah, don't eat don't eat people, y'all. A. So, but I would I would also say like anything, you know, it's like you you know those like vampire masquerader people that like drink each other's blood at parties. Oh my god, yeah. I think that's a QWP that like really ties into this as well. Like it's just, it's a health hazard, you know? Yeah. Like that's, that's really my main issue with it. Like, yeah, I think vampires are cool, you guys, but no. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all like just don't fucking consume other humans, like blood or their flesh, their hair. Like, you yeah maybe not like let's not so so moving on in the crone zone um so this is the part of the episode where i get to tell you guys all about the norse fates better known as the norns and before we get cracking i do want to own up to a mistake that i have made so we wanted to do this Chrome-themed episode with the Baba Yaga and all of that. And here's where I fucked up. Uh, see, whenever I would read about the Norns, I always imagined, like, the witches from Macbeth, kind of like a bubble-bubble, toil-and-trouble vibe. And then I actually read their origin story. And so if, like me, that is what you thought, congratulations, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> so the Norns are actually young maiden giantesses who are apparently pretty beautiful, according to the legends, from Jotunheim, who show up uh, to mark the end of the Golden Age of the Gods and usher in the Age of Mankind. So they're actually specifically described as not being crones at all. Um, so my bad, but we already, we already storyboarded the episode. Well, to be fair, I don't think this is 
just you because like I know you're talking about like the concept of weird later but like there is that whole disc world novel called weird sisters that Terry Pratchett wrote and the witches in that are very much well, like the, typical crone witches the, too. The witches in Macbeth are the weird sisters and they're yeah. always played by crones. I'm like, there's multiple like cultural touch points that have misled us. <laughs> so we've been misled, but the the Norns are not crones. Uh, they're giant and beautiful. So uh, I feel like they still embody like crone energy though. Yeah. And they're kind of, you know, they're, they're immortal. So they're ageless, really. Um, but so there's three sisters. And actually, supposedly, in some legends, there's three Norns for each of the nine realms of the Tree of Life. Um, and so there's like elf Norns and human Norns and like all of the Norns. But in, in the really, really classic ones, like if we just look at the Eddas themselves, um, there's only three, and they're like the Norns, right? So it's three sisters, uh, Weird, which is spelled U-R-D-R, but pronounced Weird, uh, is usually sort of the leader, and it translates to fate or sometimes the past as well. Um, there's Verdandi, which roughly translates to happening or present, and Skuld which roughly translates to debt or future. I would say it's kind of like past, present, future. You know, it's like, that seems, they're like, it's either this or this. And I'm like, they're the fates. It's past, present, and future. Use some fucking context clues. Um, I don't think we're talking about debt here. (laughs) No, it's just, I think it's, it, it does get hard when you get into like the actual concept of weird because it is a little bit, timey-wimey, bendy-wendy shit, but I think past, present, future makes sense. Makes yeah. perfect sense. Right. Uh, but so we literally have the weird sisters, and I do hope everyone can see why I saw crones in my head. Moving on. Uh, so one thing we do have to love about the Norns is that they're distinctly their own separate thing. So they're not the gods of Valhalla that come from Odin and, you know, Mimir and all of them. Uh, they just show up one day at the base of Yggdrasil and end the golden age of the gods to weave the fates of the universe and do some gardening. So, oh, did I not mention the most wands and fronds thing about the Norns is that when they're not literally sitting around weaving our fates, they draw water from the sacred well and water Yggdrasil to make sure the entirety of the cosmos does not collapse in on itself. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a very small job or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, you know, they're, because they're not busy enough already being present at every single birth either. But uh, they also fertilize the great ash tree to make sure things will be rich and fertile until the dying day of Ragnarok. So, uh, but yes, they are not initially goddesses and even later on when they have come into this role of being the fate weavers they're not referred to as goddesses they're norns they're their own thing they're their own separate thing and they are not beholden to the gods in any way which uh becomes important later on um 
But yeah, not goddesses at all, just giant, beautiful women who are set out on a very important job. And so, yeah, they're not beholden to Odin. Uh, They do make it known, though, that even though they have to weave tragedy into the fates, they do, in fact, want what's best for humanity at large. So they're like on humanity's side generally speaking, and um, kind of try to protect humans from the whims of the gods. So, also a very important job, uh, and someone's got to do it, because those Norse gods are brutal. Uh, And they just do not give a fuck about humans at all. Um, So, by and large, the main job of the Norns is they show up at every single birth, which is a tall order, all three of them, by the way, uh, and create from each new life a thread of fate that they will weave into the larger tapestry. And it is because of this very strong association with birthing that at a Norse birth, uh, a special porridge was left out for the Norns as a kind of bribe to like petition them for a long healthy life for the baby um and this wasn't your average like malto meal it had to be special it had to be like the finest cuts of oats the finest honey the best berries available and you were absolutely forbidden from eating it yourself after leaving it out symbolically for the norns like do not fucking touch it No, no, no. Um, But one of the most important non-birth-related things that the Norns ever did involves sort of the prophecy of Ragnarok. So in the story, Mimir prophesizes Ragnarok, right? But Odin needs to find out more. And they're like, no. Because remember, they are not... He's not in charge of them. Like, he's in charge of everything else, but even the gods have to bow down to fate. So, not being proper goddesses themselves, and kind of having a bit of a judgmental attitude towards the gods, the Norns are like, we're not going to tell you about Ragnarok. Like, you're going to have to figure it out yourself. Which then leads him to ask Mimir what to do, which is why he ends up plucking his eye out and hanging himself from the trees. So it was really, like, the Norns that set all of that into motion by being like no fuck off it's like it's fate we don't have to tell you shit um so you know it's like he does end up getting the knowledge of the end of times after throwing his eye into their well um which you know i mean that eye has got to be great for the tree a little eye juice to water the tree with yum 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 yeah it seems like great fertilizer uh but you do you do have to love some powerful bitches like standing up to the patriarchy and being like no fuck you figure it out yourself uh you're not supposed to know that's what fate is um so apart from the origin and the important story of their involvement with ragnarok because the norns make ragnarok happen because they weave the fates like that's that was their idea by the way. Um, So they made it happen, and they were like, we're not going to tell you about it. Uh, But 
uh, apart from that and like their origin story, there's there's sort of mentioned a lot in a passing way. Um, so like either being cursed or thanked for how things have turned out. It's almost like a literary device. Like anytime something bad happens, they're like, curse the Norns for making this happen. And anytime something good happens, they're like, the Norns have blessed me with a long thread of fate, you know? Uh, and it's like, it's, it's, it's like a literary device to them. Um, but the imagery of them does seem to have had a lasting impact from not only the Crones and Macbeth, but also in stories like Sleeping Beauty, where, now picture this, three witches show up to give the princess gifts for her life, you know, like a beautiful singing voice, I think, and like riches and the evil ones, like, oh, and you're going to sleep until you find true love's first kiss or whatever. Um, but that story also heavily features fate and the spinning of thread. So I feel like that's very Norn adjacent. Um, and I really think, like, if the Norns were something you were interested in, like, incorporating into your craft, I think, like, really the only time that that would be super, super duper appropriate is if you were expecting, because of their very strong associations with birth. Um, but maybe in sort of, like, a gratitude way. You know, so like to thank the Norns for the fate that you have been given thus far. Um, and really anything I think involving like thread magic, you know, so there's a lot of really cool knot magic out there that I think you could do as like in honor of the Norns who weave the fates out of golden thread. Um, I think, you know, if you're a tapestry weaver, you know, like triforces uh because you know there's three norns and i think like the the number three really comes up a lot in like nornic type yeah. mythology so there's also like the nordic symbol like the web of weird that symbol that's got the nine staves all interconnecting it's like a really cool like rune that you can look up that i'm like you could totally like embroider that on something oh yeah yeah, yeah. but i'm like anything with thread crafting Oh, Anything yeah. with the number three, um, triangles, um, you know, maybe throw an eye in a well, uh, you know, just whatever, whatever your, whatever your heart desires. And also, I'm like, to all the pregnant witches out there, I think we should bring back the Norn porridge. Hell yeah. Like, you know, it couldn't hurt. Better I safe, think that's fun. Better, <laughs> better, better safe than sorry, though, no? Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, definitely agree. <laughs> but, you know, I again, you know, it's like, uh, that's, that's all I got for you. There's like more stuff about Norns, but I think just kind of like the origin story of kind of how how it all works is is really enough for today because we don't want to keep you for two hours, you guys. We love you, but <laughs> right. uh, not not this week. No, it's a good intro. I do like before I dive into my segment, I just want to say that like one of my favorite things about Norse mythology, and I think the Norns really like they kind of display this really beautifully, is that like in Norse like lore, 
your actual fate is not nearly as important as like what you do with it. And I think there's something that's just like so awesome and powerful about that because the concept of weird with fate is like, you're not just some like helpless being like thrusting towards an inevitable destiny. It's like, no, like really like the concept of weird and fate is more like a spider web. You know, it's like everything is connected and it impacts everything, which is why like, no, you don't just surrender to your fate and be a fucking little bitch about it forever. You get to go out fucking fighting, even if it's Ragnarok and you know, it's pointless. You're going to go out fighting because it's better to like, accept your fate but also continue to live your life in a way that's in alignment and i just like that's one of my favorite things about a lot of like the the norse mythology in particular i think it's really empowering in ways that not every type of mythology is yeah and i mean it's like they also they don't fuck around the norns so it's like there's a lot of like hey, can you bring my friend back to life? Like, they didn't deserve to die. And they're like, no, that's fate, bitch. Deal with it. Yeah. Like, things happen. So now, instead of you fucking whining about it and, like, being sad your friend is dead, sure, be sad, but also, like, you need to get on living with your fucking fate. Like, keep moving. Yeah. Which I do like. Keep on moving, y'all. Keep on moving. Keep on keeping on. Okay. Well, once in a while, I do, like get to talk to Nick when we're planning out stuff. And I realized there really are so many like super basic herbs that we haven't covered yet. And it's a fun little treat to get into something that I think is a really common kitchen herb. And as like a green witch and kitchen, witch, I really do love when we can find ways to make like everyday eating and cooking more valuable magically and medicinally. So on that note, oregano, um, the name oregonum, which is the official Latin for it comes from the Greek for bitter herb. It's in the Lamiaceae family or the mint family. So you can guess how easy this one is to grow. But right off the top, I do want to just like point out there's a lot of confusion between oregano and marjoram when you're gardening, like just as a heads up, like they look very similar, like they have similar growth habits. Their sizes are virtually indistinguishable from each other. Um, And to like add to that whole issue here, they also love to hybridize with each other. So if you are growing both, you're likely going to end up with some fun little offspring. But the easiest tell is that oregano generally has like pink or light purple flowers and marjoram has like pale pink or white flowers. So it's best like the best way to know for sure is just to source your plants or your seeds from reliable sources. But, you know, just keep that in mind, because especially if you're looking at like herbal uses, that's going to be very, very important to know the difference with what you have. So oregano, it is, of course, native to the Mediterranean, like you can just think of the food you associate it with. It did eventually spread around the world, though, like so many like medicinal and culinary herbs. There are a ton of cultivars of this one. But one of the biggest influences, like influences on its potency is actually the growing condition. So if you're buying a plant somewhere, and it's not like too weird, like, take a bite of one of the leaves, because you want to find something that's like hot and spicy and pungent. Because if it tastes just kind of like, like, it's like, not the best plant for you. So it is pretty straightforward to grow. It likes well drained soil, full sun, shocked i know uh it can get to be about two feet tall uh in like total when it's full grown but my plant tends to like to hang over the side of its pot so i guess mine would get to more like two feet long 
Um, you can add it to your garden bed, but you'll actually have a much more potent plant if you put it in like a sunny, semi-dry spot. So this is what I mean with like the growing condition being the biggest influence on its potency. If you're able to let it dry out a little bit more and really like bake in some heat, it's actually going to be a lot stronger. So this is a great herb for people in places like Texas, Nick, over the summer, because all of the like shit that makes the summer so harsh actually can make oregano more potent as a medicine. I mean, and and you know, I, I was just kind of thinking about like how much stronger Mexican oregano is. Yeah. So I can see that in action. Yeah, and exactly. And that's what it is. It's really about like how it's grown. So um you can, you know, you can definitely like get a start of this, but this is one that I've grown from seed a few times and it's really super straightforward. You know, just don't bury it too deep. Like I've done this multiple times with oregano and it's so, so simple. Um, of course you, you can go from start if you want something a little sooner. Um, but when you're ready, like when your plant is all grown up and you want to use it, you're going to pick the fresh leaves as needed. Again, heat and dryness are going to make it a lot more pungent. So if you want something with a little extra zing, you know, maybe think about picking and harvesting after like a hot spell. Um, when you are growing this at home though, you are going to want to cut back any unharvested flower stems after they're finished flowering, just to keep the growth nice and bushy, just like you do with like basil and basically anything else. Um, oregano does have a long history of herbalism use. And I'm reminding you now that I am not a doctor. This is not medical advice. You guys know better. So during the Middle Ages, oregano was like a super common medicine and people would chew on the herb to help with everything from like toothaches to indigestion because there are some cultivar, uh, cultivars of oregano that are so intense that it does have like almost a numbing effect on the mouth. So, you know, if you're someone that maybe deals with toothaches, look for some badass oregano. Historians do believe it was introduced to the Middle East and China in the medieval period via spice trading routes. Um, but once it was there, it was like quickly adopted into Eastern medicine, where it was used to treat fever, vomiting, jaundice, and even like skin irritation. The uh, ancient Greek philosopher and botanist uh, Theophrastus described oregano as marvelous in virtue and useful for many purposes, which is like a glowing Yelp review. Um, <laughs> oregano and marjoram are actually like very close relatives to Dittany of Crete. Dittany of Crete is like, it's got origanum in like its Latin name. And, you know, Dittany of Crete was obviously used as like a wound healer, a poison antidote, and like a general cure-all in classical times. So when you hear about Dittany of Crete, or if you see something that calls for Dittany of Crete in like a magical spell oregano or marjoram, I think are perfectly good substitutions in particular in magic, not necessarily in herbalism, but for magic, I think you can definitely trade either of those out. So fun facts. It did take England a bit longer than the rest of Europe to catch on to oregano. Uh, but by the Elizabethan era, it was used for everything. And they also thought it like would bring good luck and health. So it was one of those like grow it in the garden for luck plants. And after World War II, oregano was brought to the US uh, after, you know, the soldiers were abroad and they called it pizza herb. <laughs> so, wow. I, I, iconic Americans uh, just being like, no, nah, it's pizza herbs. 
pizza herbs. Um, <laughs> so oregano is antimicrobial. It's a digestive aid and it's good for respiratory system support. Um, I do, again, just want to note here, marjoram doesn't have that antimicrobial punch in particular. So that's just a reminder. They do look almost indistinguishable from each other. So if you're wanting to use oregano for antimicrobial support, you need to make sure that you know you have oregano. <laughs> Um, so you can use oregano as a general, like aromatic antimicrobial to kind of like open, warm and disinfect the lungs, relieve sinus infections and to even like address stomach bugs. And you can also use it topically to treat infections, wounds, fungus. Um, the easiest way to use it, especially if you're wanting to do it like for respiratory health is to add some like oregano leaves to a steam inhalation bowl. So basically all you do here is get like a bowl of water that's like super hot, like very hot, very steamy, add some fresh oregano leaves, drape a towel over your head with the bowl under there and like inhale like it's your fucking job. That's like one of the easiest ways to get a, a nice like steamed herb into your lungs when you're feeling under the weather. Um, you can also use the diluted essential oil as a massage rub and it can be good if you have a fungal infection. So I know we have some listeners with kids, uh, I know in middle school and high school in particular, athlete's foot is a real fucking problem in lockers, like locker rooms, because they're gross. Uh, so maybe some diluted oregano essential oil could be an ally for you there. Um, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I actually, I, I had a coworker who swore by oregano oil for boils. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's that antimicrobial tendency there. I think that makes perfect sense. And that that's, uh, that's straight from, that's like one degree of separation from someone who like, was like, really had a problem with it and was like, yeah, I put oregano oil on it overnight and it shrinks down and it stops hurting. And so it's like, it's the real deal, y'all. It is. And some people have really good luck using it with their acne as well. Um, so I tend to like Sunday Riley's night oil. I use their Luna night oil, which we could get into a whole other thing about Sunday Riley. But one of their acne oil blends does have oregano oil in it. So it definitely smells like pizza. But oregano <laughs> can be useful for some people for acne. Liter li literal pizza face literal pizza face uh i can't use that one in particular because there's something fucking in it that was that breaks my face out but you know if you're also someone that struggles with acne maybe a diluted oregano oil in like you know like a jojoba or something could be worth trying to help with your skin issues um as a digestive aid Oregano is a great addition to meat dishes, you know, it kind of like helps that digestive process, which is especially important with like heavier meats like lamb or ground beef and like even things like chicken and like grilled fish, like sea bass, like heavier fish. Um, you know, it's great for those. It's also really good for like veggie for chilies or like vegan chilies since it's helpful when dealing with gas and bloating. Anyone who's ever eaten a fucking vegan chili knows what I'm talking about. Add some oregano it'll help. Um, oregano is safe for most people, but I do want to note here that it is a hot, dry herb. So it's useful for like sluggish, cold, damp, stagnant conditions. If you're someone with like a hot and a dry constitution, this could irritate whatever you're trying to heal. Um, and that's one of the reasons like it's important for you to like get to know your personal constitution if you're wanting to like 
practice any sort of herbal remedies on yourself, um, or, you know, just make sure you're working with an experienced herbalist. So magic time. Oregano is a feminine plant associated with the air element, the planets Mercury and Venus, the signs Taurus and Libra, happy Libra season, and the deities Aphrodite and Venus. It's awesome for magic related to creativity, protection, travel, communication, peace, freedom, prophetic dreams, animal magic, and courage. Uh, With the prophetic dream work note, you do have to expect us to suggest it in a sleep sachet. I'm just going to leave it there. Um, (laughs) Time to drink, y'all. Time to to take. Well, and, you know, speaking of things that we always talk about, lemon balm. Uh, Lemon balm has a lot of very similar properties to oregano, like as far as herbalism is concerned. So if you don't have oregano and you're looking for something that's like really good, like an antimicrobial or like really good for supporting like the lungs, lemon balm is a great substitute. So we just got them both in. Um, so oregano is great for bringing like joy and lightness into your home, which I think is a great thing to have on hand this time of year, especially, you know, we're going into the dark half of the year. Thank fucking God, finally. Um, but I know we're also headed into holiday season when people tend to have more guests and even family in their personal spaces, you know, oregano. Um, you can also add oregano or a few drops of the oil to a bath to like calm you and give you clarity and courage. Like in particular, if you're going through a tough time, um, a little bit of oregano can kind of like boost that sense of self. Um, and one of the more crone energetics I see with oregano is like this ability to use it for like letting go. And in particular, like letting go of a loved one. So this can obviously mean like following death where you can use it to decorate your loved one's grave, burn it as incense to help them move on, and also to help you let go. But it can also help with like getting over an ex, like in current time. So I love this little spell I read on wiccanow.com specifically for getting over an ex-lover. So take a sprig of oregano, pinch off the top few leaves, inhale the scent of oregano deeply. And then when you're ready, drop the sprig and the leaves and walk away with intention. And a hair flip because I think that's important here. Uh, You can also use oregano and magic for justice, which is another like crone mood. So like burn dried oregano leaves and send your intentions through the smoke that justice will be served. Love that visual. Um, So yeah, so today my sources were Healing with Plants, the Chelsea Physic Garden Herbal, Grow Your Own own Herbal Remedies by Maria Noel Groves, Wiccanow.com, Wikipedia, and PlentifulEarth.com love 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 that and i'm like i do feel so healthy uh because i eat just a shit ton of oregano i really do it's so good it's so good but i did i I did i did love that uh steam bowl tip because if if y'all couldn't tell i am just getting over a little bit of uh hay fever related bronchitis uh so i could use a steam bowl oh hell yeah Put some oregano in a steam bowl and just like mm, breathe deep. Breathe deep the scent of the pizza. <laughs> I love that. Get your pizza face on. <laughs> um, okay, so as we come into the end, guys, I'm doing the Terrascope today, and I've got a message for our dear little Leo Lions. So for you, my sweets, I have drawn the nine of air, which is represented by the pomegranate, which feels very on point as we just passed the autumnal equinox. So we know that uh, pomegranate, you know, this is the tree that leads to Demeter's loss of Persephone in the myth and in that vein. 
this card really is a message for you to like let go of what you cannot control, right? Pain is one of our paths to wisdom. This is such a crone fucking message and I didn't do this on purpose, but when heartache enters your life, which it will, don't turn away. You know, like our pain and our trauma, we can weave it into gold. And in the book, The Prophet, um, Khalil Gibran says, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. So don't hurry because grief, much like pomegranates, must be harvested in its own time. Like you've already lived through difficulties, you will continue to do so. But like, just a reminder, Leos, like we are all descendants of survivors. That's how we're here. Our lineage is made up of brave people who made it through despite terrible tragedies. So like slap on some of that bravery, my sweet little lions, as you move through whatever heartache you may be experiencing. Just know like this is going to add to your sparkle and shine when you're able to like move through it and then fully incorporate this shadow into like the beautiful dance that is a Leo. And some of the crafting ideas for this card include writing your grief with a feather and pomegranate juice. I would say burn it if that feels right once you're done, perhaps followed by a bath with some oregano. Uh, you can also in like pop open an, a pomegranate, you know, tearing it open with your hands is so visceral. Enjoy the seeds and really like embrace your underworld crown. Uh, you can also drink pomegranate juice to calm your spirit and heal the heart when it's overcome by emotion. Well, you know, and I just, I love pomegranate juice too. Oh, hell yeah. But don't buy palm. Don't do it. No, 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 no. Fuck the Resnicks. I I will beep out their name. Um, I'd get fired. Anyway, I'll beep out their name. But there's a certain group of bad business people. Don't support them. Anyway, uh, that's the bitter end. Oh, my goodness. Well, you guys, uh, I feel like if you wanted to talk more about the Crone Zone, um, you could hit us up on Instagram at Pod. Conveniently enough, if you wanted to email us a strongly worded letter because you are a crone, our email is wandsandfrondspod at gmail.com. We always appreciate it if you like, subscribe, or leave a review wherever you're listening. Um, Yeah, recommend us to your friends, invite us to your chalet. uh, Really, though, I'm very disappointed that no one has invited us to their fucking chateau in Bordeaux. Like, I need to go to a chateau with wow. a moat in, in the French wine country. So, I mean, guys, like, we hype y'all up a lot, but, you know? Yeah. No, like, like no rubies, no invitations to Atlantis. Although, we did get a picture uh, of a pet. We got one picture of a pet. Yeah, I'm like one picture of pet. I know more of y'all have pets. Come like, on. Like y'all are witches. I'm gonna need you to step it up. And I'm gonna ask you one more time. Because it's been a long fucking week. I wanna see your pets. Yes. Please, please send us pictures of your pets. All right. All right. Well, what do <laughs> what do we say to all of the crone bitches? Uh to all the crone bitches we say, blessed. Be bitches. Blessed be all you crone bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now.
but I can't promise what sleep Shannon is going to do. She doesn't fucking listen to me. Yeah, no, I, I'm not in charge of sleep Nick. Um, right. I mean, sleep Shannon just runs around other people's dreams being a dickhead. So I don't know what to tell you. I can't get her to sleep in an upright <laughs> position. I can't get her to be polite to my friends. Oh, my God. 